afternoon. This is our continued recording on the subject of the introduction to Lutheranism, uh, Lutheran catechesis, um, catechetical instruction, whatever you may call it. Uh, the last video we talked about uh, the Office of the Keys and Confession. One of the issues that I wanted to talk about with the Office of the Keys was the question of who could be a pastor. And the big question specifically it has to do with women's ordination, whether why why is it that in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we do not have women pastors? Um, there are some church bodies that do, uh, but we do not. And the reason is, is ultimately comes down to, um, to some degree, it might be due to different interpretations of Scripture, or the more common reason is is a rejection of Scripture. So we as Lutherans believe teaching and fasting, as Missouri Synod Lutherans, we believe teaching and fasting that the entirety of the, the Bible, the New Testament, Old Testament, is God's word. And so all source of what we believe teaching and fasting comes from the scriptures, so the scriptures alone. Um, and as you notice through these videos, I've gone back to the scriptures quite a bit in our past, in our in the various teachings. So that way you understand that what I'm talking about and discussing comes from scripture itself. So the issue, why are women not allowed to be pastors? Now there's a few things. Um, the first reason, there's several reasons. Now, one of the common arguments is, is that, well, God, Jesus never had any women apostles, which that's true. That is um, there's truth to that, but that's not really an argument. It's I'd actually say the fact that Jesus doesn't have any women apostles isn't actually saying that we can't have women pastors, but I believe it is a consequence of the same reason we can't have women pastors. Because here, ultimately, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start reading a bit of passages. And this ultimately actually has an overlap with the subject of marriage the relationship between the husband and the wife. And so I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis 1. So it says, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All right, so that's just very simple um, passage to show that men and women were created in the image of God. That means That ultimately means that they're created without sin. So I'm going to jump down a little bit here to chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God called, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he, took, he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman. And brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
she shall be called woman, but she for she because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So God created woman for man. He looked at the man and said, It is not good for you to be alone. And so he made a helper suitable for him. And note, helper is not a word of inferiority. That's what a lot of times people think. Well, helper must mean they're inferior. Well, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the helper as well. And if you have a proper understanding of the Trinity, you understand that the Holy Spirit is equal to the Father and equal to the Son because they're all the three persons of the triune God. And so helper is not a word of inferiority. It's actually just meaning that the job, the calling, the vocation of that particular individual is different from the other. And so in other words, even the word um, helper denotes an idea Notice says that he's a helper fit for him or suitable for him. So in other words, it's suggesting that the woman was created in a so he gave her so God created woman for the purpose of helping man, um, supporting him, things like that, and also to give him companionship. And so, um, all right, so that's the first thing. So this is basic basic stuff. What marriage is about now. What we're going to go to is we're going to talk about the order of marriage, the order of creation. And I'm going to jump to, let's see here, First Corinthians chapter 11. It says, now I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Everyone who prays or prophesies with head covered, his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. All right, so I'm going to, first there's this whole thing of head coverings. People use, so this once, okay, so here Paul is telling that women, men are to be the head of their wife. He's the head. So this is, or I should say husbands are the head of their wives, right? And so the people will right away go, well, it says right, he also says right in the same paragraph that um, that women are supposed to have their heads covered. Well, there's two things. First off, he does talk about hair as being a potential covering. But it's also somewhat of it's cultural. It's one of those things that doesn't really work in our culture. The principle behind it, work, it still applies, but the, the application is different. So in first century um, Corinth, and I think I talked about this in a previous video, but um, a woman who had her head covered was a woman who was married. So specifically, wives were supposed to have their heads covered. If a wife did not have her head covered, and so, and, you know, open for business, so to speak. And so for a wife to have her head not covered when she is, in fact, married would be a sign of adultery. It would be a sign of an intent to do so. It's inviting other men to 
be with her. And so that is what Paul is condemning. So if you so in other words, very at the core is if you are married, act like you're married. And I think, you know, while in our culture you don't have to have your head covered, but maybe it might be akin to um, having a wedding ring. I, I'm not married, so I don't have one. But you know, if you have a wedding ring, you keep it on, you know, because that wedding ring is a sign that you are married. Uh, taking it off in this culture um, can be perceived as a sign of infidelity. Now, there might be reasons you take it off, like you're doing the dishes or something. But under but norm, your normal everyday business, when you take it off, then it's uh, it can be a sign that you're doing something that there's something up. So, uh, but that's so it does not negate uh, what is said before. It still holds that the hus that Christ is the head of the hu head of man, the head of his the husband, and the wife is the head of her husband, or the husband is the head of her wife. Sorry, so. Um, Paul kind of deals with this again. We're going to jump forward, well, kind of forward to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, and we'll go to verse 22. Now, I'm going to stop for a moment. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So people see this. There are some translations, more modern ones, will put verse 21 in with verse 22 in that next paragraph. Even though the Greek doesn't go that way, um, nothing in the grammar allows for it. Uh, verse 22 is a completely new thought. Verse 21 is a part of an address to um, an entire church, saying that the entire church is supposed to submit unto one another. It's not about the relationship between a husband and a wife. So verse 22, it says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So, right there, the wife is to submit unto her husband. And now I want you to understand what the submission means. And the way I'm going to illustrate this... I have oh, cobwebs. All right, two pop vinyl figures here. All right, so this is Lisa Turtle from and Screech Powers, both from Saved by the Bell. All right, submission in in ancient times, the first century, to which Paul is writing, is a it's a military terminology. Submission means to allow someone to be in front of you. So it's, Basically, think of this as a sign of an act of protection or a military word. So to submit means to stand behind the head. So why would you stand behind? What's the purpose? The purpose is that, let's say a marauder is coming in at this per at screech here with a sword. In or, or coming at Lisa with a sword. In order to get to Lisa, they have to go through Screech. Got that? So in other words, you go like this. And so, and so submission means allowing for the head to submit, to give himself up for her. Now, that does not mean she can't talk. 
That's a common belief that says, oh, she can't say anything. She's a doormat. That's not what she's supposed to do. In fact, like if the, there's somebody coming in from this side, she should say, hey, 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 Screech, guess what? There's somebody coming at me from this side. You need to get over here. And so that he could go over and protect her, right? That's his job is to protect her. And this is not because women are weak. Um, this is a false idea that, you know, we protect things because they're weak. Um, have you ever been to a military base? Military bases have insane security. Um, and do you think the military is the weakness of our nation? No, they're the strength of our nation, yet they have incredible security. We have, we we protect things not because they're weak. I mean, I don't see anybody fighting for the rights of mosquitoes, saying you need to stop the mosquitoes that lands on your arm. You need to not swat it. It's weak. I haven't heard that. The reason is we don't protect things because they're weak. We protect things because they are valuable. All right? It's not to, it's to say that the husband's job is to protect the wife is not to speak to her weakness, but to speak to her value. It actually means that she is more valuable than he is. So... Um, so her job is to submit, to allow him to be the head. Allow, and this is not just in literal, you know, swords coming at you, guns being fired at you. It is in decisions. His decisions are he is the one to make decisions. That is what it means to be the head of the house. This it seems unfair, but it's actually it's a burden. It also means that when he fail, when there's failure from the household, the blame falls on him. To be the head means to take the blame. This is why it's very interesting. Is So I began with uh, reading from Genesis 1 and read about, or Genesis 2, read about the creation of Adam and Eve. So Adam was the head of the, his wife, Eve. When Eve fell into sin, so Eve fell into sin. She's the one that started it. She was the first one to be deceived. Now, the man was a completely innocent because he, he was, he was right there. He heard the whole conversation. He didn't speak up. He didn't protect her. He didn't defend her. And here's the thing. If you read in the New Testament, with the exception of one, and we're going to come to that one exception uh, when we get to that verse, but with the exception of one case, the blame for the fall into sin in the New Testament is quite often, more often than not, laid on Adam. Because it says, all have sinned through Adam. Adam. We talk about putting drowning the old Eve. No, nobody talks about the old Eve. We talk about the old Adam because he was the head. Because he was the head, he gets the blame for all of history for the fall into sin because he failed in his headship. All right. In fact, many this is one of the things is so if you read in the on Genesis 3, when they fell into sin, the serpent, the the Hebrew word that's trans, often translated as serpent could also be translated as dragon. And this is kind of reflected in the book of Revelation. And why this, I, this is of relevance is throughout the history of our, our world, many of our fantasy stories and uh, fairy tales revolve around a prince saving a princess from a dragon. Even Mario Brothers does, for Mario Brothers. Um, and the reason for this is it's actually a deep layer, 
deep layered, and it goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam failed to save his wife Eve from a dragon. And because the very first man failed to save, the very first husband failed to save the very first wife from the rat, from the villainy of a dragon ever since then there has been stories about men rescuing women the damsel in distress and people decry it and, and there's some reason to that i think it's we do need to show that women have strength that they can protect themselves because they can't sit there and wait for the man to, a man to come along because very good chance that he won't come along so there's something to that but that doesn't mean that we cancel out we don't do that at the get rid of those. Do teach that at the expense of teaching men, teaching boys, that their job is to protect women, protect their wife. A husband is to protect his wife and to hold her as honorable and cherished. And by the way, the job of the wife, her job is to protect the children. Because because so just as the wife submits to the husband, the children submit to the to the wife. And so, and by the consequence, they're also submitting to the husband. And I should note that submission does not mean inferiority. Same thing with this issue with helper. People think helper means inferiority, and people think the same thing about submission, and it doesn't. Submission, in fact, this past this past Sunday um, was the second Sunday after Christmas. In the gospel lesson, it talks about that Jesus submitted unto his parents, both Mary and Joseph. Does that mean that Mary and Joseph were superior to Jesus? No, because Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the one that spoke them into existence. He's their God, and yet he submitted to them. In fact, Jesus lived a life of submission. He submitted to his parents. He submitted um, to the governing authorities, to the religious leaders. I mean, he submitted unto death. And so submission does not mean that one's less. It mean, Submission has to do with role and purpose and vocation, right? We all have to submit to people. Um, we all have, most of you have an empl employers or teachers that you have to submit unto. Your teacher or your uh, boss is not actually more important than you. They're not more valued than you. They just have a different position than you. And for the sake of good order, and our God loves good order, He some people live in submission, some people are in leadership. And even those who are in leadership will find themselves at a time in submission. Right? So that is, so I'm talking about all this about marriage, and so I'm going to keep reading this. So verse 25, so this illustrates further what this submission is. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are the members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying 
that refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now it's interesting in verse 32, 32 Paul lets you know that this is ultimately about the relationship between Christ and the church. And frankly, that's a video for another time. I'm not going to dig too deep into that. But still at the core there, it's telling that the husband is to be willing to die for his wife. This is why um, having a cross processional is very appropriate at a wedding. At weddings, quite traditionally, the husband wears black. Why? Because it's symbolizing that he is being he is willing to die for his wife. Um, the cross, the procession of the cross that leads begins the wedding. It stands as a reminder to the to the groom that he is willing to endure that, to endure a cross. He's willing to have nails driven into his hands, dr driven into his feet, uh, a spear driven into his side, a crown of thorns upon his head, in order that his bride may live. That is what he is committing to when he says, I do. And the wife is wearing white because he is to, post, he is to see her as holy and without blemish. And it's very interesting that's the phrase because that's actually how Paul begins uh, Ephesians. But that's, again, topic for another time. But either way, he's supposed to see here like that white is to symbolize the purity that she's to have in his eyes. She could, she could be nasty and mean to him. And he's still supposed to see her holy and without blemish. To see him as his blessed bride. He's never to see her faults or her weaknesses. He's always to see her as without blemish, even though she isn't. You know, this is, you know, you, it's kind of a, the thing that guys do when he loves a woman. I mean, she can have the worst hair day. She can, you know, things just aren't going right. She may be old and gray, and he'll look at her, and she'll be as beautiful to him as she was the day he met her. You know, that's, that's a Christ, that's a godly love. All right, that is what a husband's called to love. Now, I bring all this up because this is all, marriage is what is, is why we are in this situation where women are not allowed to be pastors. And I'm going to go to the, the verse and key, the key verses here. First Timothy chapter two says, I desire then in every place, this is chapter two, verse eight. I desire then that in every place, the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarrel. Now, when I first note that the lifting of hands does not mean you have to worship like this. I mean, you want to, you can, but there's some people, well, if you don't do this, you're not really worshiping. No, the that's not what he's saying. What he's actually, when he's talking about, he's, do, he's kind of doing a compare and contrast. So, because notice within this, he talks about anger and quarreling. So, when we just read that thing about the past, the husband being the head of the house, um, the head of the family, a lot of people say, well, that gives excuse for abuse, domestic violence. May give ex People may use it as an excuse, but that's not what it's teaching. Um, in fact, this verse 8 is actually telling you exactly quite the opposite. It's telling that men should never, ever lift his hands in anger. 
His, if he's going to ever lift his hands, it's going to be in prayer. He should never lift it in anger at his wife, at his family, or anybody. He's if he if he's to lift it, it's to be lifted in prayer, to prayer for relief in his anger at his quarrel. So that's so I, I think it's helpful that it starts there. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Now, some people have argued that this has to do with wealth, and I don't agree with that. Um, now, there is verses, like James, I think, in particular deals with this issue, uh, about women. Um, and he does talk about costly attire, so okay, fair enough. To, so, that, to some degree, it is talking about, um, you know, don't wear expensive stuff while people have uh, have nothing. But braided hair doesn't cost money. Not really. So the big thing here is you got braided hair, gold, or pearls. And again, this is kind of a cultural thing. In the first century, the people who wore braided hair, gold, and pearls were the temple prostitutes. And so Paul is telling you don't dress like a prostitute. And I think that's a good rule of thumb still. Don't dress like a prostitute. Women should not wear suggestive clothing. Men, neither should men. Men should not wear suggestive clothing either. Um, and I think in our, but I think in our culture, it's a much bigger issue with women. Um, our culture sexualizes women in, in younger and younger ages. It's sad and tragic. Uh, but, you know, this is saying women don't dress that way. Uh, we live in the reality that we are that men and women both struggle with the temptation of lust. Do not give cause for lust. He said, "Well, control your emotions." Yeah, easier said than done. You control your emotions. I mean, you, the very fact that a woman is dressed like that is really because of comfort. It's because they're wanting to. Show, it's because they want the boy to lust after. So, um, yeah. It, so the, uh, the the basic rule of thumb right there is dress modestly. And that's what it says, with modesty, self-control. So, But with, what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works? Then here we go, verse 11. Now, this is the big verse here. Let, us, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. This is using marriage terminology. So it's more specifically, let a wife learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a wife to teach or to exercise authority over a husband. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Verse 15, what does it mean that she'll be saved through childbearing? She was. And, and by the way, who's she? The woman, the woman who sinned, who was deceived, Eve, she was saved through childbearing. What childbearing? The bearing of Jesus. All right, so that's, she's saved through, the, through basically through Mary, um, giving birth to Christ. And actually men are too. But at the core here, the central issue here is learning of submissiveness. And this is, this is the key verse that's pretty much condemning um, women for being not allowing women to be pastors, 
And chapter three, by the way, also says here. Um, so, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. So, you should only have one wife, and you does not say, and he says that he should be a husband. In other words, it should be a man. All right? So, overseer is just another term for pastor, bishop, whatever. And see, this is the thing is, the issue here is ultimately that submission thing. Let's talk about with marriage. To be a pastor means to be a person in authority. A pastor has authority over the congregation. Specifically on Sunday, that happens. He stands up in front of the church, and he speaks as one with authority. That authority comes to him by the Holy Spirit, um, by Christ. So it's a, it's a divine authority passed on to him from, our, from the one true God. So he has authority to proclaim, to preach, and to declare forgiveness, to withhold sins, to forgive sins. And so he is ultimately standing as a head of the congregation. But here's the problem. He is a is if he was a let's say this was a woman. <coughs> a woman is a pastor. Her husband is a member of that congregation. And so she stands up there in the pulpit and she begins preaching. She preaches with authority as a pastor is supposed to do. She's preaching with authority over her husband. See, that's the problem right there. See, she when she's a pastor, she doesn't suddenly not her she's not suddenly not married for an hour. She's still married. That man's still her husband. And she's still supposed to be in submission. He's still supposed to be the head of the house. So, or the head of her. But when she's standing up there and preaching, she is the head of him. She is taking on the role of the husband. In fact, the first pastor was a husband. Past, and so... Adam was basically the first husband. He was the first president, first king, first governor. And I'm going to come back to that. There's some application there. But very core of it is the wife, to have a woman as a pastor, to have a wife as a pastor, is to subvert the marital structure that God designed from creation. Now somebody might say, well, then well, we'll just not have... So a woman could be single and could be a pastor, right? Well, then what are you going to do? You're going to tell her that she can't get married? What, so she, once she becomes a pastor, now she can't get married? That's forbidden. Scripture, um, let's see here. I think I'm, it's actually, uh, I think it's somewhere in First or Second Timothy, and I can't find it right at the top, right at the moment. But it actually, oh, yeah, there we go. Now the, this is chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared, who forbid marriage 
and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So right there. Calls it a forbidding, calls the forbidding of marriage a doctrine, a teaching of demons. So in other words, the for, so telling a, a woman, so let's say a woman becomes a pastor, now she is forbidden to be married. Well, that's a doctrine of the devil. So the only way that you can have a woman be a pastor and not have exercise authority over her husband is to is to enforce a teaching of the demons. So again, you in other words, you cannot have a wife be a pastor. A woman be a pastor without falling into a sin. A sinful, erroneous teaching in accordance with Scripture. And by the way, if you notice, the thing about forbidding a marriage that does apply also to, this is an issue with the Roman Catholic Church. In the Roman Catholic Church, they do teach that priests, their overseers, are not allowed to get married. And right here, Paul is condemning such a teaching. And Paul's even said that they may be a husband of one wife. Now, they don't have to be a husband, but they can be. Right? So this is, um, so the forbidding of marriage is expressly condemned by Scripture. It's expressly, uh, and the idea of a wife, a woman being a pastor, does not work with Scripture. Um, and that verse right there that I read from Timothy is probably the best go-to, those verses um, showing it. And now people are saying, well, I think women can preach better than men. You may be right. I think, I believe you're right. I believe there are women that could preach incredible sermons that a man couldn't. But that assumes that God chooses people to be pastors based upon ability. Have you ever read about the apostles? They were, you know, the apostles were the first 11 pastors. Did they strike you as people who were super awesome? Peter said things that he used. He said stupid things. Actually, all of them said pretty bumbling things quite a bit. Um, we know from the book of Acts that they weren't even very well educated. Well, they were. They're educated, actually, because they were with Jesus the whole time. But they weren't educated in the normal sense. They, they were illiterate. They couldn't read or write, many of them. Um, that's why Peter had other people write his epistles for him. So... God doesn't choose people to be pastors based upon their ability. In fact, a lack of ability, people that may have a lack of ability end up being pastors. And it's probably the best reminder that ultimately the past, the man isn't what makes the, the office. It's God who makes the office. And it's one of the reasons why you'll see pastors wearing these special garments, robes. Um, I'm not wearing my clerical shirt, but some you see me in some of my videos I'm wearing my black shirt and the white collar. We wear the same clothing. It's kind of a reminder to us pastors that we could be replaced. This isn't about me. It's about the one who's confessed. So it doesn't matter who it has nothing to do with ability. All right. Uh, and I, I mean, and I say that's, you know, this is it's sometimes I think, man, it kind of stinks. I, there's girls that we have in our congregation. I'm like, man, she would be, she, if, 
You know, they're like, man, she's got some great abilities for ministry. But the thing is, is God has designed, has designed it to be a, to be the husband, to be the man, to be the head of be the head of the church, to be a pastor. And and ultimately it comes down to marriage. And yes, this this does have overlapping things. This also means it's not good for a husband for a wife to be the boss of a of her husband. So let's say they both work at a restaurant. Um, it's not good practice to have the wife um, be the boss and the husband be an employee because that that means for whenever they're at work, which is you know four to eight hours a day, um, that she's the head. And that's a pretty good chunk of the day. Actually, that means most of their waking hours, she's the head of the house. She's the head of the marriage, and that's not good for the marriage. There'll be tensions. Um, this also means that, um, it's, it's, it's very difficult for a woman to be president, governor, things like that. Uh, and the reason is, is because a president is the head of an entire nation. And that means she, and there's no, and president doesn't get time off. He doesn't, he's always the president. And so, you know, he may get days off, but he's ultimately still on call. And so to be the president, so if a woman is a president, that means she is the head of her husband all the time. There's never a time she's not the head of her husband. And so this, again, creates problems within the marriage. Now, the common objection is that there is um, there's an example of Deborah in the Old Testament. She took lead. and really, and if, But if you read in the context, really it ultimately had to do with the fact that um, the nation of Israel was inept, and so, so a hypothetical situation: you have two people running for president. One happens to be a woman. One happens to be a man. And that woman happens to be, you know, that man happens to be incompetent. And in comparison, the woman is much better. Go with the woman. <clears throat> There's, I mean, in absolute necessity, a woman may be an option. And in the case of a political leadership. And the same thing maybe even being the manager of a job. But that doesn't mean a woman can't be the boss of a place. She just shouldn't be the shouldn't hire her husband. Her husband should work at another job. Because um, remember, she's he's not every man is the head of every woman. It's only her husband that's the head of the wife. Right? So I'm not the head of every woman I come across. Um so that's an important distinction because then um, that no woman could ever have any authority or any leadership position. But women can. Women can have many leadership positions. They can be teachers because hopefully they're not married to those students. You know, hopefully they're not having relationships. So, again, this is all about God's design of creation. It's, again, not about inferiority. It's about structure. It's about order. God created things to be a certain way. And so often common objection people have is, well, we can't. But, you know, we have all these examples of people in the scripture, even the New Testament, of women um, doing things. And, and I say, yeah, that's true. But they weren't pastors. They weren't apostles. They're deacons. That means they're servants. They could serve. That's not the same thing as being a pastor. So that's why we, we do have women DCEs. We have deaconesses. Uh, we have lay ministers. 
Women can be Sunday school teachers. They can um, be parish nurses. They can uh, do any of a number of things in the church. They can do youth lead youth ministry. There's a lot of things that women could do within the context of the church. Because those things do not involve having exercising headship over a husband, over a spouse. All right? So this is the big issue. That is the issue at, at hand. This is why we do not ordain women. Scripture does not give us the room to do so. So the only thing, the only way you can really do, really have women as pastors requires ignoring Scripture or getting very creative with your interpretation of it. But what we have laid out is pretty strong that it should not, it should not be. Um, I know it's a teaching that is not popular in our culture, but it's the way it is. God designed man to be the head of the house. And by the way, one of the things I should note at the end here is we're going back to this theme of marriage. One of the things you'll note is people think that this was really regressive. We should go back to the way it was in Greece when they didn't have this whole thing of the husband being the head. because they. But the thing is, in Greco-Roman culture, women were much, much worse off. When Paul says in Ephesians that husbands are to love their wives, that was radical. In the first century, wives were basically just there to have babies. That was basically it. The idea of the husband having to love his wife, to love her so much that he'd be willing to die for her, yeah, that was rare. More, most men in Greco-Roman culture, what they did, the most common relationship was men would use women just basically to have babies, and then they go sleep with men and boys, especially young boy, young men, were the number one attraction in the first century. Um, that's why gymnasiums were a horrible place. Um, much of what you read about what's going on Greco-Roman culture, it sounds it's you realize that the issues of that world are still alive today when you look at things like human trafficking. Um, the way that young boys and young girls are treated is just horrendous. Uh, but that was what it was like in Greco-Roman culture. Women were treated as objects. And the desire of relationships was young boys. And women were considered worthless beyond baby-making. So Paul saying, husbands, love your wives, your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that was radical. And the thing is, is men fail. Men fail miserably when it comes to marriage. Men are given a standard that is very, very high. And the temptation is that men let women be the head. They let the woman, their wives, take over. So... I'm going to stop there as you hear the phone is ringing. Um, I pray that this is a blessing to you. Uh, the next recording I'm going to come back with is um, a teaching on the Lord's Supper. Thank you and God bless.